It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. And we, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Welcome back to a special edition of Mic'd Up on OM Radio. This is your daily COVID-19 news update for Low Country listeners. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. Today's date, Friday, April 10th. And this morning's timestamp for the beginning of this recording, it's currently 5.13 a.m. There's another aspect of coronavirus coverage that many may not really pay particular attention to. I'm going to let Dr. Fauci explain it to you first. I just want to make a brief comment to get back to the discussion about the health disparities in, in uh, the African-American community, because it really is very important. And the reason I want to bring it up, because I couldn't help sitting there reflecting about sometimes when you're in the middle of a crisis, like we are now with the coronavirus, uh, it really does have ultimately shine a very bright light on some of the real weaknesses and foibles in our society. And as some of you know, I've, the greater proportion of my professional career has been defined by HIV AIDS. And if you go back then, uh, during that period of time when there was extraordinary stigma, particularly against the gay community, and it was only when the world realized how the gay community responded to this outbreak with incredible courage and dignity and, and strength and activism, that I think that really changed some of the stigma against the gay community, uh, very much so. I see a similarity here because health disparities have always existed for the African-American community. But here again, with the crisis, how it's shining a bright light on how unacceptable that is. Because yet again, when you have a situation like the coronavirus, they are suffering disproportionately, as Dr. Berg said correctly. It's not that they're getting infected more often. It's that when they do get infected, their underlying medical conditions, the diabetes, the hypertension, the obesity, the asthma, those are the kind of things that wind them up in the ICU and ultimately give them a higher death rate. The discussion of um, disparities in either health care treatment or access among African-American or black community members, the discussion has never left black homes, black communities. Uh, this is something we talk about often, at least I'm going to speak for uh, my family, my circle of friends, my entire life. We've always had to navigate certain challenges, and I didn't come up from uh, an impoverished uh, upbringing, right? I had, I had a mother and father who were gainfully employed, and we had access to um, to great health care growing up for me. Um, however, the disparities in treatment, quality of care, and all of those things are very real, even for us at that tax bracket that, that I enjoyed as a young girl. Um, and so and as I get older, I'm starting to see those disparities really uh, manifest because our health care system is buckling and coronavirus is highlighting that. So you know, we, we're seeing how marginalized communities, specifically the black community, uh, is dealing with, is reeling from the effects of COVID-19 in unique ways. Um, that clip came courtesy of C-SPAN. I'm going to play this clip from Democracy Now! that's going to add even, a, even more context. Take a listen. The way that racism is operating in this pandemic is in two separate fronts. It's increasing exposure to the virus and it 
has increased vulnerability to the virus. So increasing exposure to the virus because the way that racism that structures opportunity and assigns value has structured our educational opportunities and job opportunities. We are in more front-facing, low-income, underappreciated jobs where we are part of the essential workforce that really isn't getting its full attention and certainly not getting the full protection that we need. Racism has increased the vulnerability of us to this virus because living in racially segregated communities that are resource segregated without adequate access to food and our environmental racism hazard segregated has made us carry in our bodies all of those same diseases, diabetes, high blood pressure, renal disease, asthma, that are making people who get infected to the virus sicker and die faster from it. Again, that clip came courtesy of Democracy Now! and it featured the voice and commentary of former president of the American Public Health Association, Dr. Camera Phyllis-Jones, an epidemiologist at that. Um, so I, I hope that helps folks understand the gravity of this issue and why it's important to hyper-focus on segments of the population that may be at risk. Now, I myself identify as Black I'm a Gullah Geechee descendant, and so I, I present information typically um, from, from my vantage point, but um, I also uh, scour the, um, the net for other news and voices from other communities. So I, that's the goal for me as I continue to do these updates is to bring you more voices from uh, more segments of the population that are being disproportionately impacted by coronavirus. But I want to I want to take this. I want to bring this local now. Right. So here's some local coverage regarding this disparity. And um, I want to also I mentioned this yesterday, the state newspaper based out of Columbia. They actually made this leading news um, yesterday and I believe uh, the day before that. So shout out to them for putting this at the forefront today. The front page of the Post and Courier um, are Avery Wilkes, the reporter there. He, uh, based, Well, he's based in Columbia as well, um, but he writes for the Post and Courier. Uh, you know, he also followed up with a with a study with a a story, excuse me, a story um, that gives additional insight into this disparity. But here's another clip I wanted you to hear. As coronavirus deaths continue to be reported across the U.S., there's one trend seen in many states, and that's African Americans are reported as the ones who die the most. And experts say this is a direct result of health inequalities that are usually generational, like access to health care or healthy food options. And this, in turn, causes chronic illness among those in the African American community. According to the latest numbers released by DHEC, African-Americans make up 46% of all COVID-19 related deaths in South Carolina, but they make up only 38% of all reported cases. Health experts say higher probability of illnesses like high blood pressure, asthma, and diabetes make some in the black community more vulnerable to the virus. Abel Bartley, professor of African-American and urban history at Clemson University said, discrimination and racism play a key role in further worsening these health disparities. You have two things working together, racism, which is a tremendous drain on the African-American community, but then also that the fact that discrimination also works with it and that African-Americans don't have access to things. Uh, we know for a fact that if you can get preventative medicine and if you have access to a proper diet, many of the health problems will be. 
Baseball. That was Kristen Cheatham from WSPA 7 News, and you heard her interview Professor Abel Bartley of Clemson University. Now I'd like to pivot to the latest numbers from DHEC. Continue to bring you facts, not fear. DHEC released new numbers this afternoon. There are 241 new cases of COVID-19 in our state since yesterday. There have also been 14 additional deaths, or four additional deaths, I should say, from the virus. This brings the total number of people with confirmed cases of COVID-19 to 2,792 and those who have died to 67. 45 of those new cases are in Richland County. You all don't South need me to underscore the fact that the coronavirus, the fallout from the coronavirus, isn't just limited to our health and wellness. We've seen the ramifications of this pandemic hit areas like our economy, uh, our daily lives, our education system, and of course, unemployment, right? So a lot of folks are currently unemployed in South Carolina. And as I mentioned yesterday on the update show, uh, I was left scratching my head because it's our healthcare systems here in South Carolina that are laying off quite a few workers. In fact, you heard from a local nurse who had to work on contract in uh, New York City because of the lack of work here. And she was an emergency room nurse. So um, I'm not quite sure when we're seeing the uptick in numbers in terms of infection rates and total positive cases, why is it leading to layoffs? But I think, um, and I'm going to engage a voice on this that's more knowledgeable than I am. Um, but of course, I think it really just underscores how our healthcare system is currently set up, right? So basically, uh, the elective surgeries have gone down, and that's a big money maker for a lot of hospitals. So I imagine that there is a direct link between elective surgery rates diminishing um, and less profits, less ability to pay staff, and and that just really kind of sucks because. You would, you would want your doctors and your healthcare professionals to be incentivized to keep folks well, but that's just not how we're currently set up. Um, but let me read from this article. Shout out to MK over at the Post and Courier. Uh, and her and uh, it was both MK and Jessica Holdman who wrote the front page story regarding the furloughs from Prisma Health. I'm just going to read a portion of their reporting. The hospital system has seen an 80% drop in surgical procedures and a 40% drop in patient volume even in its emergency departments. Prisma Health is not alone. About 1,800 people working in hospitals filed for unemployment benefits in South Carolina last week. They joined the rolls of the more than 181,000 people who submitted an application for jobless benefits during the past three weeks. Again, that's from the reporting done um, in the Post and Curious, a front page story uh, highlighting the Prisma Health layoffs or furloughs. And remember, in previous days, we've seen MUSC lay off uh, scores and scores of folks there. So um, uh, my heart goes out to folks who are impacted by that. The healthcare industry is the last industry I thought uh, would uh, have to withstand so much, so much uh, damage. But um, here we are. Um, I'm going to take this moment now to update you on the unemployment numbers. Take a listen to this. Claims have grown yet again in the Palmetto State. The South Carolina Department of Employment and Workforce released their latest numbers today for the week ending on Saturday. The initial claims were 85,018. That's an increase of 31% from the previous week. This map shows the unemployment claims by county across the state. In the Midlands, Richland County tops the list with more than 5,800 claims. Lexington County has nearly 4,000. 
Sumter County, slightly more than 1,300 claims, and in Kershaw County, just over 1,000. Filing for benefits can be a daunting and overwhelming task. News 19's Jacob Reynolds breaks down the newest numbers and answers your questions on filing a claim. The week of April 4th, the South Carolina Department of Employment and Workforce received 85,018 initial claims for unemployment benefits. The industries impacted the most were full-service restaurants, temporary help services, and dentist offices. Richland County was the fifth most impacted county with more than 5,000 claims. All told, in the last three weeks, the state has received more than 180,000 unemployment claims and paid out $18.5 million. Call center staff has been increased 400% to help filers, and they fixed an issue with Social Security number verification. The department is also reminding applicants it has waived requirements for job searches, although the question will still appear during the application. They've also posted how-to videos on their YouTube channel Channel, taking applicants step-by-step step through the process. If you're having trouble getting your claim approved, look for a blue interview link in the bottom right corner of your profile on the department website. The department says claims filed by employers on behalf of laid-off or furloughed employees are being approved within 24 hours. In Columbia, Jacob Reynolds, News 19, WLTX. The department of Shout out to the folks over at WLTX for another fine bit of reporting. Shout out to Jacob Reynolds. Uh, I wanted to let that clip rock because I wanted you to hear the tips. Uh, in, in a previous update, we heard from Senator Tim Scott, and he also doled out some advice about how to how to apply for your unemployment benefits. So uh, hopefully that was helpful for folks who are currently finding themselves without employment. And again, my my heart goes out to everyone right now dealing with that. And I'm wishing the best for everyone. Um, I also want to pivot now to more uh, information about the CARES Act. I know I know I mentioned that I wanted to bring on someone to, to unpack it a little bit. And I'm still working on that. Trust me. <laughs> um, but here's a video that was posted to the state, the state newspaper's YouTube account. Here's a little video clip that tells you more about the CARES Act and what's inside. President Donald Trump signed into law the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act on March 27, 2020. It's a $2 trillion stimulus package to elevate the economic impact of the COVID-19 coronavirus. Here is how the money will be distributed. An estimated $560 billion will go to affected workers. Individuals making less than $75,000 will receive $1,200. Married couples making less than $150,000 will receive $2,400 with an additional $500 per dependent. The IRS will send payments to those eligible throughout April based on their latest filed tax reforms. The package covers people who receive disability payments and Social Security retirement. The CARES Act provides about $260 billion in unemployment insurance to millions of people who have been laid off or who are self-employed, freelancers, or contractors. The act includes a $500 billion loan program for big businesses, which are required to repay the government. Small businesses will receive $377 billion, but they don't have to repay what they spent on paying employees a mortgage, rent, or utilities. A $150 billion will go to state and local governments, which are relying on tax revenue while businesses remain closed. 
the Defense Department will receive $10.5 billion to deploy soldiers helping state responders and for vaccine and antivirals research and development. The Act allocates $100 billion to healthcare and $200 million to telemedicine and requires private insurance to cover treatment and vaccine costs. $30 billion will go to schools, universities, and colleges. The CARES Act pauses payments at no interest for most federal student loan borrowers through September 30, 2020. Millions of American workers have been waiting for their relief payments and loans, as unemployment claims reached 6 million by the end of March. Okay, folks, I'm going to end today's COVID-19 local update there. But as I've mentioned in previous shows, I want to highlight the contributions of Black folk, Black people uh, in our healthcare system, like in a historical context. Uh, So um, I usually incorporate a clip from a local South Carolina hero, a Black hero in healthcare. Today is a little different. I wanted to give you this uh, interesting little mini documentary about Uh, Black folks' contributions during World War II. Um, Again, this was inspired by the coverage uh, in the Post and Courier on Sunday that to me um, was a little bit of omissive. Uh, It was written through an omissive lens that didn't take into account uh, people of color, but also Black folk here um, who paved the way for so many. So, And so I wanted to just add uh, some audio from an interesting documentary that talks about black people's contributions during World War II. So take a listen to this. Uh, So signing off here, y'all, please stay happy, stay healthy, stay home if you can, help flatten that curve. All my Gullah Geechee folk out there, y'all, y'all, please stay black. More than 4,000 black women joined the wax and the waves and served in segregated units. Many found themselves relegated to menial jobs in mess halls and laundries. There were only four black nurses in the United States Navy during the war and 500 in the Army. Their assignment was to care for black servicemen in the segregated military hospitals. They were not permitted to care for whites. That policy changed after a contingent of black nurses was sent overseas to care for black casualties. Upon their arrival in England, the nurses were welcomed by Brigadier General Benjamin O. Davis, the first black general in the history of the U.S. Army. Captain Petty and nurses, I am told that you are the first colored nurses to come to this area. I know that you are going to live up to all of the traditions of your noble profession, and the American people expect great things of you. That month, most of the American casualties were white. The black nurses were ordered to care for wounded German prisoners of war. There was public outrage. Army hospital rules were changed, at least in England. But most racial discrimination went unchecked. German POWs were often treated with more respect than black GIs. But it was different at home. The black serviceman was a hero to his family and his neighbors. Two million black Americans were working in the war plants. Many of them were women. 
For black war workers, just as for whites, the war meant steady work and high wages. But that was not all. There was the matter of patriotism, of contributing to the war effort, which concerned black Americans as much as it did whites. Harlem needed air raid wardens, after all. There were hundreds of black volunteers for civil defense and war bond drives. For any kind of job they were allowed to do.